Good morning, brothers and sisters. As we rapidly approach the end of our Easter season, we're getting ready for the two great solemnities of the ascension of our Lord into heaven and, of course, the Feast of Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit. And our gospel today is, again, following along this same historical moment where Jesus is preparing the apostles. He's already died and risen from the dead, and now he's been with them for several weeks. And he's telling them, look, I'm going to go away. You're not going to see me anymore. I'm not actually leaving you. I'm remaining with you, just not visibly. I'm going to ascend to my Father, but I'm going to send you someone wonderful, the advocate, he says, the one who will plead on your behalf, and he will dwell in you. He's clearly talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's precisely the Spirit of God, God's divine love, dwelling in us that maintains our unity as a body of Christ in our unity with and in God. God, if he dwells in me and I dwell in him, then there's this perfect unity between us. And that's what Jesus wants for us. That's why he came and he suffered and he died. That's why he did all of these things so that he could send the Spirit down upon us. And it's precisely this gift of the Spirit that empowers us with all the grace and all the virtue that we need to continue to follow Christ. But there are three essential virtues, the three most important virtues that the Spirit of God bestows upon those who receive him. And those are the virtues of faith, hope, and love, the three greatest of all virtues, the most important that everyone must have. Because without faith, you cannot believe if you don't believe, you can have no relationship. Without faith, you cannot hope. There is no hope without faith and belief in Christ, in what he has done for us, in the gifts he has given us. And then without faith and hope, you can't love because you'll be so filled with anxieties and stresses and the problems of the world. It's precisely faith and hope that empower Christian love to manifest in the world. In our second reading, we have from the letter of St. Peter, this very important phrase that you hear all the time from Christians. And it's very important because Peter is speaking to each one of us. He says, always be ready to give an explanation to anyone who asks you for a reason for your hope. Always be ready, he says. And what does he mean by this? He means that we who follow Christ, we who are filled with God, with the Holy Spirit, should stand out in the rest of society. There should be some different things about us to such a degree that people are going to approach us and say, hey, you're a little weird, what's going on? Where is this hope coming from? Now either, as Peter says, they're just gonna think you're crazy, condemn you and walk away, but some will be curious. Some will think, I, I want what they have. Where did you get it? How do I get it too? And you'll tell them, yoga, oh, it's amazing. 20 minutes every morning, it's just miraculous. No, no. You need to be prepared to explain to them where this hope comes from. There's one major problem with this second reading, is that many Christians don't have hope. How is that possible? Why aren't you constantly, at least 
by your life testifying to this hope? Why aren't people often coming up to you, either to ridicule you because of your, your ridiculous hope, or to, in curiosity, ask you about it? It's because so often in your daily lives with your family, friends, coworkers, wherever you happen to be, grocery store, there isn't much hope. This is a problem. Hope is an essential Christian virtue. It's, it's not an option. So where is your hope? Does it mean you don't hope in Christ? Of course you do. It's unlikely you'd be sitting here on a Sunday morning if you didn't, to some degree, hope in Jesus Christ. But why doesn't it shine out in the world? This world is in darkness compared to what we are offered as disciples of the Lord. Yet it doesn't seem to contrast that greatly when we are out amongst others in society. Yes, we have hope in Christ, but we don't have enough hope in Christ. Not yet. Oftentimes, we compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus. Oh yeah, I hope on Sunday mornings and when I pray, but I'm sorry, the rest of the time, I'm just occupied with other things, Lord. Don't get in my way. You don't say that, but you act that way. We all fall to that temptation at times. And the test to know whether all of your hope is in Christ or only some of it, is can you ever lose hope? For example, let's say you've been really hoping for that raise, and you'd worked hard. Not only did you think you earned it, but your spouse thinks you earned it, and every, all the other employees think you earn it, and the boss gives it to somebody else. And you're just going around complaining and upset and gossiping you know, about your boss, how unfair the world is. Where's the hope? You so say, I didn't get what I deserved. Neither did Jesus. What's the point? There's no problem with wanting that raise, but when you put your hope in getting it and you don't, then what happens? Your hope is dashed. Everything in this world will fail you at some point. Everything. It doesn't matter what gifts and attributes you have, what possessions, skills, relationships, everything will fail you in this world at some point. And if your hope is in those people or those relationships or those things, that when it fails, you will lose it. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't hurt when you don't get that raise or when that relationship breaks up or when your candidate for the presidency isn't elected. Fine. You can suffer, of course. That's understandable. But if my hope is in Christ, nothing affects that hope. Why? If God is actually living in me, in reality living in me, then how can any of these worldly problems affect me? I'm, I'm sorry, the, the Trinitarian God, creator of the universe, dwells in me and I in him. Who cares whether I got the raise or not? Yeah, it would have been nice, the extra money, but I'm sure God's got some plan. This is our mistake. We place too much hope in earthly things. And then when they're taken away from us, or when we lose them, or when they die, oh, it's so terrible. 
Yeah, if you're a Gentile, if you're a pagan, if you have no hope in Christ, it's terrible. Yet you claim to follow the Lord. Now, our Lord doesn't expect you to have flawless hope right away. Hope, like any virtue, takes time. You have to grow in that virtue. So I want you to think of hope from this perspective. Hope exists in the mind and in the heart. Faith and in the desires of the heart with love. But your mind and heart are like any part of your body, so to speak. Imagine hope given to you in your hand as a, as a real object, a physical thing. Even though it's bestowed upon you, this gift of the Holy Spirit, this grace, this virtue, you have to hold on to it. Why? Because the devil in the world is trying to take it away. The moment you begin to loosen your grip, it gets knocked out of your hands. You lose hope. It's gone. You have to go scrounging again to find it and pick it up, and then you've got to hold on again, even tighter. Now, most of us, as St. Paul says, are like little babies in the faith. We have tiny little pudgy fingers that aren't very strong. And so, yes, we're given hope, but, but we're so weak, we easily drop it or trip and fall, or it's taken away from us by somebody stronger or whatever the reason. We're not strong enough to hold on to it, especially in the midst of the buffeting of the world, the problems of our lives. So we drop it. We lose it. Then we have to go back and get it again, right? We go to confession, we go receive communion, we pray and ask for the grace. And then it's given to us again because God is merciful and good. But what happens? Usually you leave the confessional maybe, maybe five hours, maybe 24 hours, and you're like, this is great, I'm doing well, everything's just wonderful, and boom, something happens and you lose it again. Ah, all of it was a waste. What's the point? It doesn't matter anymore. Well, the moment hope is lost, you begin to doubt faith. People often are confused by this fact. Well, I'm in sin, and I've let go of hope, and so now what, what's the point? Why do I need to believe any of this anyway? Is it going to do me any good? You see? You let go of hope, and faith itself weakens because they're bonded together. You can say, well, Father Miller, how can I hope when I'm, when I'm in sin? What if I'm in grave mortal sin? How can I hope? Uh, is Jesus still not God? Did he not die for your sins? Did he not leave you a specific sacrament to deal with that? You see, the reason you lose hope when you fall back into sin, even after leaving the confessional, is this. Because your hope wasn't in Christ, it was in you. It was in you saying, well, now I'll be virtuous. Now I'll be holy, and now the hope will just come from me. And then you sin again, and guess what? Since the hope was rooted in you, or at least what you thought you should be or were, and then that theory is dashed, suddenly you lose it again. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, you can't lose it. No one can take that from you. No one. And so when you lose hope, it's because it wasn't in Christ. That's on you. You can't blame anyone else for that. One of the beauties of the, the great saints is this, and this is the thing we really admire so much about them, no matter the tragedies of life, the sufferings, the, the, the pain, the grief, the sorrow that they went through, 
they always held on to hope. Even when it was insane. Even when you thought that, that, that's just crazy of them. You know, despair and die. Isn't that what Job's friends told him? Just despair and die. God has clearly rejected you. Curse God and die, they said. And Job said, no. The Lord giveth. The Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He held on. And he was ridiculed for it. And yet look what happened. In the end, God blessed him so greatly because of that hope. You see, when Christ talks about faith like a child, this is what he's referring to. I always like using the simplistic mind of a child in this particular example. Like a child can be at school or with their friends and some argument comes up about whose daddy is stronger than whose daddy. And each child can be absolutely certain, my daddy can beat up your daddy. No, he can't. My daddy can beat, right. Now, that's faith. Both of them can't be correct. <laughs> Maybe both of them are wrong. I don't know. But certainly one of their fathers is most likely going to be able to physically beat up the other. The beauty is both children are so convinced that their daddy is strong, powerful. He can, he can do this. That It's that simplistic belief that doesn't allow for doubts. It doesn't allow for doubts. This is why it's so shocking when children get to that age and they realize their mother and father aren't perfect. It's devastating. There's like a psychological angst that children grow through. You little kids, don't worry, they are perfect. Don't worry. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. They're fine. Don't worry about it. But even then, why does our Lord allow children to learn that lesson? Because their hope cannot be rooted in their parents, but in God alone. More often than not, this is why God takes things from you, just to make sure that your hope is in him and not in that thing. So I'll end by sharing a story. I'm sure I've shared it before. When I was in college, the first couple of years, I, I began to kind of come into my own in the sense that I realized I was really good with certain subjects, like theology and philosophy. I was like really good on this stuff. And I enjoyed it and I understood it so well, and even the teachers were like, oh, David gets this, this is great. So it was a mark of pride for me in those first few years of college. Like I felt like I really become excellent in some way. And I, I tried to be humble about it, but I, I can imagine I was a little proud. You know, I had great hope in the fact that this was a talent God had given me. So one day in prayer, and I, I did mass, holy hour, rosary every day, one day in prayer, just some random day during the semester, God took it away. And I don't know how to describe it except this. We know that God can infuse knowledge into somebody's brain. They don't have to learn it. He simply gives it to them. Well, if he can give, then he can take away, right? So I was there, and he just took it away. Like I, I knew a lot of philosophy. I knew a lot of theology. And suddenly, during that holy hour, I didn't know anything. It was all gone. It's like there was this emptiness in my brain where that information used to be. And I thought, maybe I'm just tired or it's a bad day, right? These things happen, got some sleep, went to class the next day. I'm sorry, my professor, they were speaking foreign languages for all I knew. 
Like it wasn't even English. I, I couldn't even follow the simplest arguments that they were trying to give us. The rest, I'm looking around like, is it, is it just me? And the rest of the class was like, oh, okay, yeah, we read this last night. No, nothing made sense. I felt like I was a child. And this went on for days. And I'd go to prayer every afternoon and say, God, what did I do? Why are you punishing me? Right? If I send, I'll repent. Please just give it back. You know, give my understanding back to me. And day after day went by, and he didn't. So finally, as is typical with his providence, I was reading some book on the lives of the saints, and the saints mentioned how God sometimes takes things away to teach us humility and to trust him. And I was like, fine, okay. Lord, if you've taken this away so that I learn to trust you more and just you know, rely on you alone, I accept this. If this is the new me, fine, I accept it. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I went to bed, and the next day I woke up, and it all was back. Just like that. I realized the point is, if my hope is solidly rooted in Christ, in his love for me, in his church, in her sacraments, in the gift of the Holy Spirit, then the loss of anything in this world cannot take that hope from me. And that hope will manifest anytime someone sees me. And it'll be even stronger light in the darkness when they know you are suffering, when they know something tragic or bad has happened to you and you still have a smile on your face. Again, many will think you're just crazy and talk about you behind your back. But the more humble souls will be curious and they will come to you and Peter tells us all, be ready to give an explanation for this hope. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.